Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Man, it's so good to see you here. Happy Mother's Day. Can we give just a round of applause for all the moms in the room? Very exciting. You know, I, just in reflecting on moms, I had a conversation with my mom uh, just, what was it, two or three uh, days ago. And it's funny because my mom actually called me really late. So I called my mom and we were kind of back and forth. My mom's a big Dodger fan. We could all collectively boo that. Boo, right, mom, if you're watching this, the church believes you should change. Um, I'm a big Giants fan. So my mom and I have this kind of clash and she always tends to remind me when my team's not doing well, her team is doing well. And so in between those text messages, we finally got a hold of each other. But my mom called me, it was like almost 11 o'clock at night. And my mom called me up and I was like, mom, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, I missed your call. I was like, okay. Do you have time to talk? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's talk, mom. So I talked with my mom for like 40 minutes and it was awesome. It was just good to connect with her. And I had to tell her, you know, mom, I, I wasn't as appreciative of you when, when I was a kid. So I think, I think sometimes moms, and maybe this is your experience, this is definitely my experience with my mom, is, is I feel like... Moms and junior high teachers, like junior high school teachers, are very similar. Like, at least in my experience, like, a, a, my junior high school teachers, man, can you imagine me as a junior higher? Oh, man, you can hardly handle me as a pastor. Imagine me as a junior higher. Just, just a wild kid and did not do well in school. But I had these really, really great junior high uh, teachers that spoke a lot of worth and value into me and helped me a lot with my academic struggles. And if it wasn't for them, I never would have made it as far as I did, I don't think I ever would even graduated high school. But they are just awesome, great people. You know, but I didn't appreciate them in that moment. They were definitely impactful to me, but didn't appreciate them. And I think very similar, like my mom had a huge impact on me. But I had a confessor just this week. I said, you know, mom, I didn't appreciate you enough as a kid. And I said, you know, one of the things, mom, that I really appreciate is I appreciate. And my mom allowed me uh, to share this with you guys. In fact, she just wrote me a text message last night saying, or uh, two nights ago saying it was okay to share this. Because I told her, Mom, this means a lot to me. My mom co com stayed committed to her sobriety my, my whole life. And that was a huge deal. Like I, I told her, I said, Mom, you know, you staying away from alcohol for 
39 years, actually more than that, that just, I mean, that's a huge contribution to my upbringing. And mom, I just, I'm, I'm so thankful for your commitment to that. And, and you didn't let kind of some of the mistakes of your past plague, you know, your kid's life. That, that's, a, that's a big deal, mom. I'm really, really appreciative of that. And I told her, you know, I'm also very appreciative of your spiritual influence. My mom loves Jesus, like loves, radically loves Jesus. And she is thrilled to have a, a, her son as a pastor. And she almost tells me like every conversation. She calls me Preacher Paul. She's just so excited. You know, she tells all her friends, oh, my son's a preacher. And all. she doesn't listen to any of my sermons. So <laughs> that's okay. But, man, she, so the spiritual influence, I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative for her sobriety. What, a, what an awesome commitment. And very appreciative for her spiritual, spiritual influence. And many of you in this room will probably say a very similar thing of, of being appreciative for your mom's spiritual influence. In fact, I just found that just, just two, I think it was about two years ago, Barna came out with this study and was looking about family influences on faith. And it found this, that the number one influencer, number one in a Christian's life was the faith of their mother. Number one. Two-thirds of Christians said that the faith of their mother was a positive influence on their life. Two-thirds. They outpaced dads. I'm not even going to tell you how big the gap was because dads, I don't want you to feel bad. But moms were number one spot over dads, grandparents, friends, uh, 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 non-relatives, other relatives. Moms took the top spot. So there's probably many in this room that would say, I'm so thankful for the spiritual influence of my mom. I mean, just that research shows us just how impactful moms are. And I think we can even expand beyond that. Like even if you've never maybe had biological kids, but you have acted like a spiritual mother, maybe to some kids who are spiritual orphans, who don't have a positive spiritual influence in their life. And your influence in their life is having a dramatic impact. And you may not know it, you may not see it. And like a junior high school teacher, (laughs) they may not be appreciative of it. Maybe not till later down the road will somebody come back and say thank you. And here's what I want to do this Mother's Day is I want to help you. Moms, ladies, I want to help you. I want to help you kind of elevate your vision. Kind of lift you up out of the immediate kind of mess that motherhood, spiritual motherhood is. And try to stretch your mind down the corridors of time. And see the fruitfulness of your labors. The things that seem minuscule. The things that seem small. The things that just feel these are idle conversations that aren't going anywhere. I want to kind of elevate your vision and help you see that your influence is dynamic. And what I hope you get at the end of this message is just a, a, a renewed courage to press into the everyday of spiritual motherhood. In fact, the big idea for today is this. If you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. Spiritual maternity changes eternity. Yes, I know it's corny. Okay? I know it's corny, but I think it may stick. Spiritual maternity changes eternity. I want to show you this in the book of Acts. We're in the writings of Luke. I want to show you this in Acts chapter 18. We're going to step into kind of the experience of a spiritual mother. One that I think gets easily overlooked. 
which many moms may feel like, that they get overlooked a lot. I know today is a great day, but what about all the other days? And sometimes, right, just the day-to-day of mothering can get overwhelming. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 18, we're going to be introduced, not, not, not a biological mom, well, she may have been, but she's going to be a spiritual mom to somebody. And her influence, in fact, maybe just one conversation where she exercised some spiritual mothering literally changed eternity for many people. And what I hope you see, maybe if you're uh, uh, not a, a mom, you're not a spiritual mom, you're, you're a guy, I hope what you see, or you're a child right now, I hope what you see is how much you should appreciate the spiritual contribution those around you are making who are moms. Spiritual moms and biological moms. And if you're a lady in the room, what I hope you see is you're encouraged by this woman to step into some of the conversations that you need to have that are very similar to the one that she had. So let's, let's, let's get introduced to the spiritual mom. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, let's just make note of that. Okay, we're going to move to two cities in our passage, Corinth and Ephesus, okay? That's important because we're going to get back to Corinth. So just kind of hold that in your mind. So Paul leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. There she is. This is the spiritual mother. His wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome... And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, so we get a little backdrop of this spiritual mom. She has a husband, his name is Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. They meet up with Paul. Paul is this dynamic missionary leader. I mean, if you talk about the guy who moved the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, the guy who moved the gospel the most in the first century world, you'd have to tag Paul. I mean, from what we know of history in the ancient world and in first century Palestine, that was the guy. He was the primary mover and shaker. There may have been other people, but we don't know. History doesn't tell us, right? We've lost those people to history. But Paul, definitely dynamic person. In fact, the frontier of gospel ministry was really dictated by the ministry activities of Paul. If you could say, hey, the gospel went this far, it was probably because of Paul. The furthest distance, you say, that's probably because of Paul. Now, they meet up together in Corinth because Priscilla and Aquila have been kicked out of Rome. Now, this is a place that Paul has not got to yet. So this aggressive missionary, this, this kind of pioneer one pushing the boundaries of gospel influence, he hasn't made it yet to Rome. He will want to, that'll be kind of his life's goal, to get to Rome. But Priscilla and Aquila come from Rome and they meet him in Corinth. Now, here's why that's important. It's because Priscilla and Aquila, I think at this point, are already Christians. Now, if you're looking at our passage and you're saying, well, it didn't say that. It just said they got kicked out of Rome. That's all we know so far. And we know that they were like, they opened up an Airbnb, apparently, to Paul because they hosted him and allowed him to do ministry. So how can you assume that they're Christians? Okay, we've got to nerd out a little bit here. But history actually tells us about this moment. Suetonius, uh, uh, an ancient 
historian records that Claudius in AD 49 actually kicked the Jews out of Rome. So we have evidence from outside the scriptures about this activity. Now why is that important? Is because Suetonius tells us why Claudius kicked him out of Rome. Why did Claudius kick the Jews out of Rome? It says because there was this social disruption about this character called Christ. Interesting. So we have disruption in Rome about a person named Christ. But wait a second. Paul hasn't got to Rome yet. Right? So how on earth is Christ being known in Rome when Paul, the pioneering missionary, hasn't moved from Jerusalem to Rome yet? How could that happen? I think it's because people like Priscilla and Aquila. Jews who maybe ventured to the Feast of Pentecost and they heard Peter preach about the resurrection. Because it says in Acts chapter 2 that Jews came from Rome in their pilgrimage to the holy city during Pentecost. And then we know that these people, after hearing the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, they then took this good news to their home city. So Priscilla and Aquila probably were traveling, went from Jerusalem to Rome. They started spreading the gospel there. And then Claudius said, what is going on with these Jews, these Jews who love Jesus, these Jews who love Christ, we got to get him, get them out of here. So Priscilla and Aquila may have been Christians before Paul was a Christian. How crazy is that? Which kind of makes sense as to why they're willing to host this guy. Because if Priscilla and Aquila are just Jewish and they're not following Jesus Christ, why would they host a missionary? I mean, maybe they just want to make funds on their Airbnb account. I don't know. But I'm, what I'm guessing is there's some sort of cooperation there because Jews and Christians didn't get along in the first century world especially at the start of Christianity so they're hosting this guy and saying hey we align with Jesus in fact we've been so fanatical about Jesus we got kicked out of our home and now we're meeting you here in Corinth so we know a little bit now more about this spiritual mother Priscilla they love Paul they're great hosts to him and then they decide hey we're going to go with you, Paul. Where are you going next? And Paul decides to go to Ephesus. And this is where we start to see her spiritual maternity kind of grow. She's already mature. She's already a Christian. She's probably a Christian before Paul was. And then she meets somebody in Ephesus who has a need. Jump to the end of chapter 18. So chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos. I know there's a lot of names here. But this is the need that presents itself. And this is where we see kind of Priscilla flex her spiritual muscles here. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. That's where Paul and Priscilla and Aquila are. They're in Ephesus. Actually, Paul had left them. He brought them there and then he left them. But they're still stationed there. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Okay, let's just stop right there. This guy sounds like a stud, doesn't he? You're like, that kind of sounds like my pastor. <laughs> but they missed handsome. I know, guys, I know, right? I was going to be called Apollos, but then my mom's like, you know what? I like the Beatles, you're Paul. So that's fine. I'm good with that. So this guy, Apollos, sounds like a pretty great guy. He's competent. It sounds like he's teaching accurately. He knows the teaching of Jesus, all this stuff. There's a phrase there that's very interesting. It says he's fervent in the spirit. Now, 
you might read that just as a 21st century reader and think, well, this just means he's passionate. But I think, there's, I think there's more to that. I think there's a lot more to that. I don't think it just means like he's an emotional guy. He's fervent in spirit. He's passionate in spirit. Because actually, if you look at the Greek, there's an article there with spirit. So we can translate it fervent in the spirit. And there's a very similar phrase in Romans chapter 12. I think it's verse 11. And that's clearly talking about Christian passion that's motivated by the Holy Spirit. So this guy's not just a good teacher. He's not just persuasive in what he says. But the Holy Spirit is inside of him and is moving dynamically in this guy. So I said, this is where we see the need. Where's the need with this guy? I mean, this guy sounds like he's got everything lined up. He's a dynamic speaker, God's moving, Holy Spirit power all over his ministry. But then Luke records, but there's a need. Okay, look at the, the very end of verse 25. It says, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, we really kind of got to go a little deeper here. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that he only knew the baptism of John? What, what's probably missing here is Apollos didn't get the very end of Jesus' teaching. If you remember when we walked through the gospel last year, uh, we walked through the whole Bible last year, and we got to the part of the end of Jesus' ministry life. After the resurrection, before Jesus ascended, went back to be with the Father, he goes to his disciples and he gives them what we often call the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, he tells you, hey guys, I want you to make more followers. Here's how I want you to do it. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what I think Apollos is missing. John the Baptist, kind of the, the, the one before Jesus, who kind of paved the way for Jesus, he would baptize. It was a baptism of repentance. Hey, I'm giving my life over to the Lord, and we baptize in the same way. But Jesus gave a little more nuance to what baptism is. It's in the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So this is missing in Apollos' teaching. Who's going to step in? So who's going to see this need? And who's going to step in? Now, we got to remember, this guy is eloquent. He is competent. Luke calls him accurate. I mean, this guy is already a rock star. Who's going to go up and tell him, hey, I think you're missing something. Right? Can, can you imagine, like, seeing somebody really proficient in their task, really proficient in their craft? And you go up to him like, you know, you're kind of missing something. Here, let me, let me help you out. We would say that's kind of rude, maybe audacious there, like that you would just step into it. Clearly, Luke has described Apollos as a very, very strong spiritual man. But he has a gap. Maybe a small gap, but he has a gap. And this is when Priscilla steps in. Look at what happens. So they're hearing him teach. We're in verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Now, stop right here. There's a subtlety here that we don't want to overlook. And it, it may not seem significant. And it may seem, maybe Luke is just 
dyslexic, which makes me feel a lot better because I'm dyslexic. But in Acts chapter 18, when we're first told about Priscilla and Aquila, who was mentioned first? Aquila was, the husband. And then here, we have Priscilla mentioned first. That's interesting. Why is that? How could that be? That's not customary. That's definitely against the grain. So Luke is doing something that, that first century Jewish readers would say, wait a second, that looks wrong. Maybe Luke's just dyslexic. He just messed up. <clears throat> the problem is, Paul, the apostle, does the same exact thing. When he talks about this couple, he often puts Priscilla's name first, then Aquila. That is not common in the first century world. When you were talking about a couple, you mentioned the husband first and then the wife. And now we have two writers of scripture, Luke and Paul, that intentionally switch. Now it could be coincidental, oh, they're just, now we have two apostles with dyslexia. Again, that makes me feel really good. I don't think that's what's happening here. When we read the scriptures, we need to realize choice implies meaning. They're choosing to do something uncommon. And if they're choosing to do that, what's the meaning behind that? The reason you would put a name first over another when you were stating a couple or more is because you were trying to give prominence to that person. It'd be like us in the 21st century world. Like say, say you're, you're having a discussion with somebody and you're talking about an actor or something like that. Right? And, and, and they didn't know who the actor was. And so you're like, oh, well, do you know their spouse? It'd be like you having a conversation and you're like, hey, do you know that guy in that Nike movie? You know, um, Ben Affleck. And you're like, Ben Affleck. Who? Affleck. Affleck the duck? You know? And you're like, no, 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 no. J-Lo's husband. Oh, Ben Man, that joke was written way better than you guys responded to it. Man, I thought like a Ben Affleck joke. I was writing thinking this is going to kill today. This is going to be so good. A J-Lo joke? I even wrote it as J-Lo and not Jennifer Lopez. Maybe some of you are like, oh, Jennifer Lopez. Next service will laugh. They're my favorite anyways. <laughs> Okay, here's my point. My point is, the reason I think he does this is he's showing there, that Priscilla had more of a prominent influence in the Christian community. She was more well-known than Aquila. She was the J-Lo. He was the Ben Affleck. She was more well-known. And she steps in and she shapes the theology of Apollos. And that changes him. And then that ripples out and changes eternity. Now, I don't know how many conversations they had. I don't. The way Luke portrays it, it sounds like it was just one conversation. One moment where she stepped into kind of spiritual motherhood. Where she stepped in and said, I'm going to have a, a conversation. As a woman, I'm going to influence this man. And her influence and her conversation rippled out into impacting not only him, but several others. Let's, let's continue on our, our journey as we walk through. So verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside 
and explain to him the way of God more accurately. So it sounds like one conversation, doesn't it? Like maybe it was a couple. Depends on how, maybe how slow he was. But they have this, these conversations. It shapes him and then it transforms him and the people of Ephesus where they're ministering. Look at verse 27. It starts to talk about the impact. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was, that the Christ was Jesus. So the first thing that happens is the people in Ephesus, the brothers in Ephesus, are just enamored with his teaching. They have this correcting conversation. He builds up such a rapport. He goes to the brothers and says, man, I feel this burden. I feel this burden to go to the region of Achaia. There's a city in Achaia called Corinth. Remember I told you to keep that in your mind? That's an important city. That's the city that Priscilla and Aquila were already at. We know later that's a place where they had a house church. It was in their home. So he says, I have a feeling I want to go over here. I want to minister over here. I want to leave Ephesus and I want to go over here. But nobody knows me in Corinth. And it says, so the Ephesian brothers said, hey, we'll write you a letter of recommendation. So the Ephesian brothers, that would include Priscilla and Aquila. Now remember, Priscilla and Aquila were already over here. That's where they met Paul. They were already Christians, probably Christians before Paul. They supported Paul in his missionary endeavor. So Priscilla is probably already known in Corinth, which means when she's hanging out with Apollos, and Apollos says, man, I really want to go to the city over here. She's like, dude, I know some people. Like, I got you. I'll, I'll sign a letter of recommendation. They kind of know my husband. You know, he's in more minor roles, but, but they know me, and they know my music. I'm trying with the J-Lo thing again. I should just abandon it. But they know me. And so I will leverage my credibility, I'll leverage my character to help you, to launch you into ministry. And apparently what happens? It works. He goes over there and the brothers say, hey, we know Priscilla. You know, we know Aquila. Yeah, absolutely, help us out here. So he goes to this region and we happen to know the impact he had, especially in the city of Corinth. Because Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. And in that letter, he talks about the dynamic impact that Apollos had. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. So this is writing later. Apollos has been there. Maybe been in that region. We don't know everything that Apollos did. We don't. Like history just doesn't tell us. But we do have some things that tell us about the dynamic impact that Apollos had. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, I planted. So he probably did the beginning work, which we know of. And that beginning work was probably with who? Priscilla and Aquila. We started this thing in Corinth. And then he's saying, and then Apollos came later. And what did Apollos do? Was he faithful? Yes, he was faithful. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. How did God build the church at Corinth on the foundations of who? Paul and Apollos. 
In fact, Apollos had such a big influence. Sadly, it kind of created this cult of personality. Right? Which happens sometimes. You have a, a dynamic spiritual leader. And people are like, man, I really love that person. They're really great. Look at what they do. God really moves through them. Right? All these things. And then sometimes we can over-idolize them. Right? That happens. We've seen it happen just in the 21st century American church. We've seen that happen. Well, it happens here in 1st century Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul mentions Apollos again. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Then none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Now, I know this is a bad outcome. It's not what we want. We don't want to play favoritism. Right? We don't want to have like pastoral trading cards like who you have. You have Pastor Paul's rookie card? Mint condition? So good. I'll trade you for a Pastor James. No, you got to throw in a Pastor Keith, a Pastor Aaron, a Pastor that in order to make that deal good. Right? We don't want to get in that moment. But it happens sometimes, right? Now, I know that's a, it's a sad effect, but it does show us something. Apollos was an effective guy. Now, sometime that effect, and he didn't want it, I think actually later in, the, in, the, in this book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he doesn't want to go back to Corinth. I think it says that he's kind of regretting or does, is, doesn't want to go back. And I think the reason for that is because people idolized him too much, and I think he grieved that. That's my guess. That's my reading of what happens in chapter 16. My, my point to bring out there is he had influence. In fact, he was so influential that he was rivaling the Apostle Paul, which is pretty significant. The Apostle Paul is the most dynamic spiritual leader in first century Palestine and Christianity. I mean, you, you, you can't, I mean, he supersedes Peter. I mean, Peter, the, the, one of the inner group of Jesus' followers, right? He's kind of the main role that you like in the book or in the movie or the show, The Chosen, right? Everybody loves Peter. And Paul eclipsed him. And in this city of Corinth, Apollos eclipsed Paul to some. Now just imagine, let's just stop here. Just imagine if Priscilla never said anything. Like just rewind the tape. We have the Corinthian church, many people come to believe. And Corinth, man, was a city of sin. I mean, Paul picked a perfect place to try to spread the gospel because they were in desperate need. Corinth was the kind of the center of commerce in the Greco-Roman world between the trade in the east and the west. And, and it was not only the center of commerce, it was like the center of immorality. If you read First and Second Corinthians, you'll see that. I mean, they are in some serious sin at times. Just wild stuff. You think we have church problems in 21st century America? Read, read the Corinthian letters. You'll be surprised at some of the sins that are going down there. But a church starts to build. Paul even says to the Corinthians, I mean, he lists these like crazy sins and he says, such were some of you, but you had radical life change. You had radical life change. And where did that radical life change come from? The work that Paul did, the work that Apollos did. But how did Apollos get that good theology? How did he understand the baptism of Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? How did he correct his thinking? 
How is his preaching more effective? In fact, who gave him street cred in Corinth? Priscilla did. If she hadn't done what she did, there'd be no Apollos in Corinth. There'd be no effectiveness there. His teaching wouldn't be accurate. It wouldn't be a firm foundation. And you wouldn't have this radical life change in a city of just sheer brokenness. Now, does Priscilla know that? I don't know. But I think we read Acts chapter 18 and we don't give her much credit. But she shaped the eternity of so many people. Right, I was just thinking, just looking back myself, I, like I can't imagine what the Corinthian story would be without Priscilla. And then I stopped and ref- reflected and I thought, I wonder what my story would be like without the spiritual influence of my mom and other spiritual mothers in my life. My story would be radically different. Just think for yourself. Who are the spiritual mothers that have come in and maybe taught you how to pray? Right? Or, or, or the ones who made you a meal after church? You know, I was just thinking there's this great mom. Her name is Sue. She, she, uh, she passed away. And when I was first um, going to church and just struggling as a teenager... Right, I think that's, that's what teenagers are, right? Just struggle. For parents, for everybody. Teenagers, we should just lock them in a cage and throw them on a boat somewhere and just wait till they come back. It worked in Lord of the Flies. It'll be fine. <laughs> but I, you know what? I, what I remember most about Sue is uh, I remember her boys, of course. Um, great guys. We goofed around, hurt ourselves way too much. But, you know, I always had a place to go eat after church. Because Sue was, I was just one of Sue's kids. And she just kind of took me in. Just loved on me. She had some hard conversations with me. Hard dating conversations. Paul, what are you doing? (sighs) I know, right? But she's not my biological mom. But she stepped into that gap. Right? She let me eat her food. I know it doesn't look like it, but I ate a lot as a teenager. That probably hurt her budget. <laughs> but she took time to have spiritual influence on me. Moms, if I can just help elevate the vision a little bit. There are so many spiritual orphans around you. In this church and in your community. In your neighborhood. Where you drop the kids off to school, when you take your kids to T-ball or to, or to soccer or whatever you take them to, or lacrosse or pickleball, if your kids are playing pickleball. Like, wherever you're moving them, there are spiritual orphans around you. And the stats don't lie. You have been the most influential people in kids' lives. The most influential spiritual person. Now we could talk about what that means, but the data doesn't lie. It's there. It's right there. Now maybe the data means dads, you got to step up. Okay, that's a Father Day message. Just wait for that one later. Okay. Well, we got to recognize the data is very clear. 
Moms, you're killing it. You're crushing it. You are. You're rock stars. You're knocking it out of the park. Please, please, please see. Elevate your vision. Look down the corridor of time. Right? Maybe think to yourself, like Priscilla, one conversation she had built a church. That's not stretching what she did. One conversation built a church. One conversation, mom, one could build a church. It's true, right? Moms, mothering your kids, making them grow to be adults that, that, that do good for society. Is that a noble task? It is. But shaping the soul of a child to adore God and, and to, to want to seek to liberate others from the bondage of sin. That, that right there is a holy endeavor. And we need you, moms. Sunrise Church has been built by spiritual mothers who believe one conversation can build a church. Sunrise Church will be here in the future and be healthy because of spiritual mothers who believe one conversation can build a church. Kids, men in this room, my encouragement to you is this. Appreciate them, man. Appreciate them. I know buying a gift on today, I know that's a good thing. Buying a meal or cooking a meal, I know that's a great thing. They, the, and I, you should do those things, okay? Do them a lot. Max out the credit card today, okay? Your pastor said so. No, don't do that. Okay. But words of appreciation can seek deep into the heart. Right now, I just, just even reflect right now. Your mom or spiritual mothers in your life, why not take this week to communicate some words of appreciation? Don't let them feel like junior high school teachers doing so much significant work, but nobody says thank you because you're a junior higher. Don't, don't let them run into that. They're significant. They should be appreciated. So maybe this week, find times and moments to communicate words of appreciation to the spiritual mothers in your life. And ladies, ladies, what's one thing you can do this week to be like Priscilla? Maybe it's just this week you commit. You know what? This week I'm teaching my kids how to pray. I'm going to teach them how to pray. Before I put them to bed, here's how mommy prays. Here's how I start. Here's how I talk to God. Here's what I say right after that. Here's how I close it out. I know that seems small, but that one conversation can build a church. Maybe it's just playing. Man, has God not given you the best week to just play outside in the neighborhood? Maybe, it's just, maybe this week it's just playing with the kids outside. Seeing the other neighborhood kids who don't have spiritual influences in their life. Your one conversation with that kid, that could build a church. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what your step is. But you can be like Priscilla. And your one conversation can build a church. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we are just so indebted to the great gift that you've given us. For all the mothers in this room who've just stepped up in incredible ways. Father, I thank you for Terry, my mom, 
I thank you for her spiritual influence. I thank you for her sobriety. I thank you for her willingness to commit to something that would be freeing to her kids. Father, I just thank you for that. Father, I thank you for her spiritual influence in my life. I thank you for her just love, her radical love for Jesus. Father, I, I just love to see my mom worship. She just so in love with you, Jesus. She's so in love with you. And Father, I thank you for Sue. I thank you for her influence on me. And uh, I think a lot of the conversations she's had, had with me helped build the churches that I got to be a part of. Um, so Father, I just thank you for her. And Father, I admit that I was not appreciative as I should have been. Uh, to both my mom and to Sue. And so, Lord, I'm sorry about that. Father, I pray that you would help us. For all the kids and the dads in the room and husbands in the room, men in the room, Father, I pray you'd help us to appreciate, to speak words, to not just look over the significant contribution, the spiritual contribution of the mothers in the room. Father, help us to appreciate the Priscilla's in our lives. And Father, for all the ladies in the room, oh, would you, Father, you, you have to do it. Would you elevate their vision to look down the quarter of time so they can see the fruits of their labor. Help them to see that even one conversation can change eternity. One conversation can build a church. I know the monotony sometimes, just the mess of the immediate responsibilities of a mother can just be overwhelming. Father, I just pray that you would give, whether it's maybe it's at night or wherever it is, that you could just show the vision of the future that could be building because of their influence. Let that reassure them. Let that nurse them. Let that speak to them. And you, you have to do that. Our words of appreciation can't go as far, Holy Spirit, as your words affirming the hearts of these wonderful women. Father, continue to give us more Priscilla's. We need them. We need them. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.